0: Catholic Register. This is Register Radio, bringing light and clarity to the news and topics that affect your life.
1: We are now only a few weeks away from the start of the Synod on Synodality in Rome, and Synod officials have announced that the media will have limited access to the Synod sessions in keeping with past Synods, and information reports on discussions will keep participants' comments anonymous. This raises the question is a tightly controlled information flow the best way to go? this synod. This week on Register Radio, we talk with Russell Shaw, one of the great veterans of the Catholic press, about the synod, secrecy, and the state of Catholic media. Hello, I'm Matthew Bunsen, EWTN News' Vice President and Editorial Director, filling in for your regular host of Register Radio, Jeanette DeMello, Executive Director of the National Catholic Register, who's off this week. Well, at a news conference a few days ago, Paolo Ruffini, head of the Vatican Communications Department, said that there would be a number of restrictions on media access to the upcoming Synod on Synodality, with only some limited live streaming, such as the opening Mass, talks by two Synod officials, and a few other events, but none of the sessions in which the Synod participants would speak their minds. Reporters, and there will be a lot of them, will receive news about the proceedings through a daily summary prepared by a committee headed by Ruffini. The announcement was not a huge shock, after all, previous synods had also limited media access, but with calls for transparency and openness on the part of the synod process, the question is being asked, is secrecy the best way to go? To discuss that very issue, I'm joined by Russell Shaw, a veteran journalist and author of more than 20 books. He was Secretary for Public Affairs at the U.S. Bishops' Conference from 1969 to 1987, Director of Information at the Knights of Columbus from 1987 to 1997, and a remarkable professor at the Pontifical Council for Social Communications and at the Pontifical University of the Holy Cross in Rome. He holds degrees uh, from Georgetown University and an honorary doctorate from the Catholic University of America. I'm also honored to say that I have known Russell for many, many years and I'm equally honored to call him a friend and mentor. Russell, welcome.
2: Well, thank you, Matthew. Good to be with you.
1: Well, you've written several pieces uh, for the National Catholic Register on the Synod and I know you're something of a regular contributor now to the Register. First, what is your sense of the entire process of synodality as it's unfolded over the last several years
2: uh, it's it's always been a question mark, and I think that the more one hears about about it the more the bigger this question mark becomes No, I don't mean to, that is, you say synodality is in trouble I don't think it's in trouble, but there's an awful lot of clarification that uh, that we simple souls out in the boondocks need as to what what this is really all about and there hasn't been a lot of helpful clarification up to this time, at least not that I'm aware of.
1: Yeah, so from your experience then, there seems to be a great deal of confusion and even anxiety among many Catholics over the whole process and the very concept of synodality. Why is that, and, and why has the Holy See, it seems, uh, been unable to ease those fears and concerns?
2: Well, I, you see, this insistence on secrecy and playing it close to, to the vest is precisely what uh, what helps to feed that anxiety that many people have. What you need is an open process with uh, uh, forthcoming answers. and If you want people not to be worried... It's the secrecy and, and the closeness of the whole process, which I think is causing people to worry a lot. Mm-hmm.
1: Francis uh, Pope Francis has uh, made synodality one of the pillars of this pontificate. I mean, it, it seems to be at the, the heart of almost everything that he's trying to do uh, with the Church, and it's all culminating, of course, starting this October with the Synod on Synodality. From the vantage point of communications, from a media perspective, how successful has this been?
2: Well, Pope Francis himself is really a master communicator. I mean, he's very, very good at it. Um, almost too good for his own good, because sometimes he talks off the cuff and uh, gets himself in the hot water that way. By large, by and large, he's really good, and the media I appreciate that. I, I wish that he'd apply some of his communication skills now, not just to talking up synodality as a kind of general concept, but starting to concretize it a bit, little bit and tell us more about what he actually has in mind than he's done to date. Maybe he doesn't want to anticipate events like the on synodal synodality, maybe he wants see what,
1: what we have to say, but uh, uh, the longer the, the uncertainty goes on, the more confusion there will be. Yeah, you wrote uh, in a, a piece on synodal secrecy, and you asked that very question, is a tightly controlled information flow the best way to go? You, you write that uh, Pope Francis has said on the plane, which is uh, his return, especially from, I think, Mongolia, uh, that uh, reporters would get information about the proceedings via this daily summary but he added that uh, Paolo Ruffini and this group would be, quote, very respectful of the speeches of each person and will try not to gossip, but are to recount things that are constructive for the Church. And you, you observe that one can certainly share the Pope's desire that the Synod retain its character as a spiritual event, but why would naming people who spoke at the Synod be in conflict with that? What do you think is uh, at work there?
2: Well, you know, this. this Anonymity is is a new wrinkle for synods. The other synods in of the past have have not imposed that kind of uh, an, an anonymous uh, stamp on on the proceedings. If people said thing that was re- things, uh, it was reported that they said them, and uh, there wasn't any secrecy about it. Why why now we have to switch to anonymity? I don't know. It, uh, Seems to me like a very poor idea, and simply reinforces the very unfortunate impression that uh, something, something, <laughs> something untoward is taking place here, and, and they don't want to let us in too close to uh, to what it's all about and who's doing what.
1: Yeah, and and you make uh, the added observation uh, that uh, considerably more than 300 participants plus some staff will be at every synod session, and some will have no hesitation about talking privately to reporters. Does this have the the risk of, in fact, uh, creating an atmosphere of leaks, but also we've we've already seen a a lack of hesitation on the part of some, especially in the sort of progressive Catholic media, to try to steer uh, the results and the interpretations of of both Pope Francis's uh, idea of synodality and synodality itself as as it's being created in this synod. Well, the people
2: who do the leaking are... Going to be people who have an axe to grind—that's for sure. Whether they're going to be liberals or conservatives, I wouldn't pretend to know. But uh, you're not going to get an objective, impartial version of what's happening in the Senate through uh, through a system that invites constant leaks of an unauthorized nature. So uh, it's just one one more reason why uh, you know the the process is. is the process is well-intended, but I'm afraid it's counterproductive and likely to produce an outcome which, uh, which it's supposed to head off, but it's not going to head it off. It's simply going to make the negative outcome even more painful than, than it would be otherwise. Yeah. I mean, the best way to avoid trouble is just to be out front, out front with what you have to say and uh, go ahead and say it and tell people honestly and openly what's going on. Mm -hmm.
1: So would your advice to them, were they to come to you, as as I know you have been involved with uh, communications for things like the USCCB and others, and I want to get to that in a minute. But would your advice to them be to stream all of the sessions or find a better way to inform reporters in the world about what's happening behind those closed doors?
2: Well, ideally, I'd want to uh, stream all of the sessions. But I don't expect that to happen. And, you know, it's never been done before, and I don't think it's going to be done on this occasion. What I would recommend is that uh, instead instead of sending out these carefully tailored uh, uh, summary reports in which no one is identified by name, that in fact the speakers and the contents of their remarks be be made part of the uh, ongoing process of. uh, of reporting from the and that uh, doc, a certain amount of documentation, the text uh, of people's presentations, also be made available to the media. Again, mm-hmm. if you want to avoid misrepresentation and error, uh, you, that's the way to go rather than by uh, yeah, an anonymous uh, procedure.
1: Right. So as this has been unfolding, I know you've been to quite a few synods uh, in your time. What were some of those experiences like at the previous or earlier synods?
2: Well, the um, certainly the, the the Holy See and the Holy See Press Office wanted to uh, control and run the whole process of uh, media relations. But uh, as time went on, more and more, national delegations, including the American delegation, took to the practice of holding their own press briefings and giving interviews and doing it all quite openly. I think that annoyed some of the people in the, on the Vatican staff, but it seemed like a much more sensible approach for uh, for those of us outside that special circle. Those of us who had media from, our, from back home there in Rome with us who wanted to know what our team was saying, and uh, and so we made our team available to them, and mm-hmm. it worked. It worked quite well, uh, despite all the fears about violations of secrecy and misrepresentation by the media and all that sort of thing. The the more open the the whole process became, the more accurate the reporting became too.
1: Well, and that became something of a pattern that we saw also with the conclave, didn't it?
2: Oh yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. And at Vatican II, Vatican II was a good example, uh, in, all, on, on a large scale of what we're talking about here. You know, the first session of uh, Vatican II was kind of a mess in communications terms. <laughs> right. the, the, the effort was made to keep it all under wraps, and, uh, you know, you had this own theme, uh, closed, close it up and keep a secret about it mentality at work. And it didn't work. There were a lot of leaks and much confusion. Unhappiness inside the uh, council and outside the council. So, after the first session of Vatican II, a more enlightened view of media relations prevailed. And uh, while uh, you couldn't admit the whole press corps to St. Peter's to sit in on on the council sessions, uh, the the next best thing was a very full and and, uh, steady flow of information coming out of the Council itself, including the names of speakers and texts of speakers and all of what was coming through the uh, Vatican Press Office was consistently supplemented by uh, uh, briefings and interviews by the uh, national delegations to to Vatican II. So that's that's the way it happened at Vatican II, and that's Mm -hmm. what... The kind of evolution I'd like to see happen through the through the uh, to the Senate. It's just too bad that, that we have to reenact all the all the mistakes of the past uh, <laughs> all over again. Do it all over again and make the same mistakes. Of, you know, years after Vatican II. That you know, I guess that we're just all of us slow learners,
1: <laughs> <laughs> or we've forgotten the importance of history. Well, you write uh, the the register that uh, it is ironic that the Synod, sometimes described as completing the work of Vatican Council II, which after its first session became a model of open communication, should take place in semi-secrecy behind closed doors. Yeah. So let's, uh, we're going to take a quick break, uh, but Russell, I want to pick this up on the other side. Uh, there's a lot more to talk about the Synod on synodality and also your take on sort of the state of Catholic media. So when we come back, we'll continue our discussion with Russell Shaw. This is Register Radio on EWTN. Stay tuned for more.
0: If you need your news on the go, read The Register online. But if you want to take your time and savor the stories, then subscribe to the National Catholic Register's print edition. And with award-winning Catholic journalism that goes beyond what you'll find from any secular news service, you'll get the real story behind the events that unfold over the course of the year. Try The Register for free today and get it delivered to your home, office, or parish. Join the Catholics who depend on the Register for its faithful and courageous reporting. Get six issues free today online at ncregister.com forward slash radio or call 800-421-3230 and mention code radio. That's ncregister.com forward slash radio or call 800-421-3230 and mention code radio. The National Catholic Register. Read faithfully. Let's
1: return to Register Radio on EWTN. Welcome back. I'm Matthew Bunsen, filling in for Jeanette DeMello this week, Executive Director of the National Catholic Register. For those of you who may not be familiar with me, I'm a Vice President of EWTN News and also Editorial Director for EWTN News and co-host of Register Radio, quite happily with uh, Jeanette. We're continuing our conversation uh, this week with uh, Russell Shaw, one of those, uh, I refer to him, uh, he may blush, but uh, one of the legends of the Catholic press about uh, the Synod on Synodality and several pieces that he's written uh, relating to the Synod and the flow of information. And, Russell, when we uh, went to the break, we were talking about Vatican II and its uh, first efforts to limit or to control the flow of communications and then how it ultimately discovered that it was really in the best interests of the council to let the press do what the press will do. And uh, you also had a lot of experience with the U.S. Bishops' Conference. Uh, yeah. to talk about that in terms of you saw a similar progression, didn't you?
2: Well, yes, I, I did, uh, at least a similar debate. You know, I uh, went to work for the Bishops' Conference as what shall I say, press secretary, I guess you could call, call the position. That was in uh, uh, the late 1960s. And uh, at that time, the bishops were having their general meetings twice a year behind closed doors. It was all closed. Uh, there was a system whereby uh, a couple of priests uh, priests were, would come out af- after a session and give some kind of summary of what, it, what had been taking place. But that was the extent of the information. And it just didn't fly with uh, reporters who, uh, be- because of their experience of the Vatican Council, too, were accustomed to a much more open and forthcoming approach on the part of the Church to... Uh, Media relations and through the information flow. So, I, having taken in one of those meetings and seeing the bad results that it was producing, I, I and others with me undertook a continuing campaign to try to persuade the bishops to open up their meeting to the general meeting to meeting direct coverage by, by the news media and uh, they took two votes over the next couple of years and voted the idea down. But then uh, they tried again a third time, those who supported the idea, and this time maybe the bishops had just gotten tired of hearing about it. But on the third vote, the bishops voted to uh, start admitting observers and accredited media to direct observation of their their general meeting. And uh, the first such meeting, took place in the spring of 1972 out there in Atlanta. And the bishops have been doing essentially that ever since. Although I'm sorry to say that for whatever reason or combination of reasons, they've been reverting to uh, a growing number of executive sessions. And I hope they get over that (laughs) recidivism fairly soon. I take back where they were in the late 1960s because you know, we, we want
1: to go forward, not back. Right. Well, is it uh, a byproduct, you think, of how they need to discuss issues such as clergy sexual abuse crisis or even Eucharistic coherence? Because I, I, you're absolutely right. Uh, in attending the meetings, you can see that there is a real determination to solve some of the more difficult or problematic discussions behind closed doors and then have it play out uh, the results of those publicly, but it's uh, in some ways trying to control the message.
2: Well, you know, actually, uh, putting that kind of discussion among the bishops uh, on the record in front of a, a press corps and cameras and microphones, uh, it's a great educational tool to also. If you want the public to understand the complexity and the difficulty of the issues that uh, the bishops or any group have to deal with. There's no better way of, than accomplishing them, that than by letting him, letting people see and hear the bishops wrestling with, with complex issues. Um, so, I, as I say, I, I think, again, it's it openness that uh, serves everybody's purposes, really. It, it, uh, it, it's too bad to... Uh, revert to practices of right.
1: yeah uh, it, it it's funny how that happens, isn't
2: it yeah yeah we as i say we're we're slow to learn things and we we have to keep being constantly reminded of, not to repeat our mistakes, I guess.
1: Well, in uh, another piece for The Register, you write uh, letting the synod on synodality play out, and you make the the observation that it's imperative that the upcoming synodal assembly in Rome show at least some positive results, but you also make the the point that uh, you ask the question, you're very good at asking questions, Isn't a synod on synodality, which is what this one is called, a rather embarrassingly self-regarding exercise for the church at a time when world crises abound from war in Ukraine to famine in sub-Saharan Africa? But then you also point out what the defender of the synod might call, Uh, might decide that it's unfair even to raise that question. After all, the church didn't uh, cause problems like those and in fact is doing what it can to alleviate them. But saying also that... um, a synod is there to concentrate on serious questions concerning its own structure and operation. So where do you fall in in the balance between those two questions?
2: Well, I think the questions must be taken seriously in the larger context. I mean, I think it's uh, necessary and arguably desirable to have a discussion now about synodality. But I hope we sooner or later get beyond the stage where the bishop and all the rest of us don't have to keep talking about synodality all the time. It is, it's going to become repetitious and it's going to become painfully uh, <laughs> inward looking on the part of the church to keep harking back to this question. Um, so, you know, get, let's get synodality settled once and for all and then, uh, then start taking, tackling the larger questions both larger problems internal to the Church and the larger problems out there in the world. You know, by the way, this Synod session that we're going to have in a a matter of days now, this is only the first of two sessions that will be devoted to to Synodality, with session number two coming up next year at this time. So uh, that'll be two whole sessions of the Synod devoted to the subject of Synodality, and that'll be enough synodality, I think. If we're going to stop talking about it, and if we're going to do synodality, let's start doing it at some point.
1: Right. Well, and, and you uh, make the observation as well that uh, there, there are genuine concerns about manipulation of this process. And you say that you're, you're pretty blunt when you say manipulation of the proceedings is entirely possible. In the short run, the manipulators might get the results they want, but in the long run, manipulation will place the launch of the Synodal Church under a cloud. Could you tease that out a little bit?
2: Well, it's hardly surprising that staff at a meeting like the Synod know what what the boss wants as far as an outcome is concerned. In this case, the, the boss is the Holy Father, Pope Francis. All of the staff of the synod know that the Pope wants a uh, ringing endorsement of the concept of synodality, because he wants, to, you know, wants us to have eventually a synodal church in place. So, knowing that, the temptation is strong for the the staff to try to give the boss what he wants by a little a little manipulation around the edges to. Uh, Maybe uh, you know, what shall I say? Feed the uh, participants in the Senate, um materials, which will lead them to uh, endorse the document, which isn't exactly what they they said, but they they've got they've got to say something. So, I, as I say, it's uh, it's it's a natural instinct, this desire to produce a result and make make it a result that the head man is going to like but uh, it can't be done at at the expense of uh, openness and candor and honesty about the proceedings.
1: Right. And and what does this say a little bit about uh, the wider state of Catholic media?
2: Well, Catholic media, uh, of course, are as much participants in this whole process as anyone else, and the same ground rules that apply to media in general will be applied to the Catholic press. In arms, exactly about uh, this kind of procedure from uh, from the Senate staff and the Senate managers, but I would would have, expect a few quiet and my modest uh, expressions of concern and an unhappiness, such as mine. You know?
1: <laughs> yes, you
2: know? I'm I'm all for uh, the Senate. I hope the Senate does well, and I'm certainly open to the possibility of a synodal church and synodality, although I'm not quite sure yet what it means, and I'd like to find out. So, uh, But I don't mind complaining about uh, procedures along the way when I think the procedures are counterproductive.
1: Right. Well, and as a, seen, a very seasoned and senior Catholic journalist, I, I think there's much to be said for actually paying attention to the advice of someone like you.
2: Well, thank you. I don't I'm not, I'm not quite that old, you know. <laughs> I don't like but, to admit it. But, yes, but you're seasoned, I have, yes. <laughs> I have been a while, around for a while, and I have seen a few things happen. And I may have been slow to learn, but I think eventually I have learned a few things about what works and what, what doesn't work in the area of communication.
1: Yeah, understood. Well, I look forward to your further observations about uh, the Synod and uh, Catholic journalism and everything else. I know that you can write about almost everything.
2: Well, I'm looking forward to the opportunity.
1: Well, Russell, thanks so much.
2: Thank you, Matthew. I've enjoyed it.
1: Well, that uh, brings to a close this week's episode of Register Radio. Remember, for more news, analysis, and commentary, check out the National Catholic Register online at ncregister.com. Thanks so much for joining me here on Register Radio on EWTN. For Jeanette DeMello and our producer Jeff Burson, I'm Matthew Bunsen. Until next week, take care and God bless.